you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. I'm Moses Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. What a great, wonderful time to spend your day, your evening, your car drive, wherever you are uh, doing the whole podcast listening experience with the Chris Voss Show and this guy. Remember, 14 years, 1,400 episodes, two to three new podcasts a weekday. You've got to keep up with us because we're punching out so many brilliant and amazing people that are going to just explode your knowledge. And you're just going to walk around and be a know-it-all. You're just going to walk out to people and go, you want to know everything? And they're going to be like, I don't know. And you're like, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. So there you go. Uh, hey, uh, CNN's uh, top anchor, Jake Tapper, will be joining us on the show. We're excited to have him. We've had a number of CNN people on the show. And uh, as long as MSNBC, CNN, and ABC, all that sort of good stuff. So watch for all that great stuff. And, of course, uh, we can't forget our newspaper people at Washington Post, uh, New York Times, and all that good stuff. So there's great content is basically what I'm saying. And if you're not listening to every ep of the show of this show with the finest minute of detail going, what will I learn today? You're not going to learn anything. Anyway, in the meantime, refer to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com uh, forward slash Chris Foss, youtube.com forward slash Chris Foss, linkedin.com forward slash Chris Foss. And uh, we're trying to be cool over there on TikTok. We have an amazing gentleman on the show. And uh, he is coming to us today with his immense knowledge. And you're going to learn about investing and uh, what to do with your money and uh, how to improve the quality of your life and all sorts of good stuff. Patrick Grimes is on the show with us today. He's the founder and CEO of investonmainstreet.com, a private equity firm that enhances busy professionals' quality of life by providing tax-shielded and inflation-hedged passive investments in alternative investments. Uh, he uh, is the founder and uh, with holdings that include a general partnership of multifamily real estate portfolio valued at $600 million plus, including about 5,000 units across the southeastern United States and Texas. He's been active in real estate investments since 2007. You're going to learn a lot from him, including purchasing land and distressed assets, renovating them, and de or, I'm sorry, stabilizing them. I was thinking about the 2008 thing for a second there when I went to the destabilization. He's been stabilizing them for a long-term cash flow. Helps investors build wealth through tax advantage cash flow and appreciation while limiting their exposure to market volatility and inflation, all the while providing safer, cleaner, improved living experiences for the residents. Welcome to the show, Patrick. How are you? I'm excited to be here, Chris. I've been listening to your show periodically on my morning runs, and I've enjoyed your guests. Looking forward to it. There you go. And now you're guesting on the show. So here you are up on deck. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Yeah. So we have two. We have invest on and then mainstreet.com. Invest on main and then street all spelled out. And then uh, passiveinvestingmastery.com. Passiveinvestingmastery. And I know you're doing a giveaway uh, for the Chris Voss show of, of your book. Uh, should we get that plug in too uh, right at the start of the show? 
Sure. Yeah. If you're if you're interested, and in, uh, I tell my whole story, I, I co-wrote a book, and I have some other great people. It's persistence, pivots, and game changers: turning challenges and opportunities. Persistence, pivots, and game changers. We got Phil Collins, lead guitarist of Def Leppard, me, oh. NBA, NFL guys on here. It was a really fun. Brian Tracy did the forward. Uh, really fun book to write. Tells my whole story, and I'd be happy to send out a signed hard copy for free. This is this, this was uh, more of a, a mission of giving back for me than it is a profit. So go to investonmainstreet.com/book. Invest on and then mainstreet.com/book. Uh, happy to and put in the promo code Chris Voss Show. Make sure you do that, and my team will get a signed hard copy out to you. There you go. Is it Chris Voss Show spaces or just one word? Uh, we'll know what it is. We, we okay. look at them one by one. You'll be like, who, who's, who are these people? There you go. So uh, check that out, folks. You can get it uh, there free. A free signed copy, too, autographed as well. I charge for mine, so that's a good deal. Uh, so, Patrick, uh, tell us, uh, give us a 30,000 overfoot of of how what you do and how you do it. Yeah, well, I started, like many of your listeners, a hardworking professional and in engineering. I did automation and robotics. Uh, and invested a lot into what called the traditional path, right? The mm -hmm. IRAs and 401ks. Um, didn't see that getting me where I wanted to get as soon as I wanted to get there. So I started investing in alternative investments, uh, mm -hmm. including real estate, long, long time ago. And uh, from that, I kind of built a company, Invest on Main Street, where uh, in Passive Investing Mastery, which is an educational content platform. Mm -hmm. uh, where we provide passive investments to investors that allow them to diversify out of the stock market. And a little bit of the non-traditional IRA 401k sentiment roller coaster of the stock market, but into other investments which help to do things that are very useful today, like inflation hedging and tax advantage and uh, uh, protects from interest rates, that kind of thing. There you go. Uh, so, uh, you know, the state of the market in housing is kind of interesting right now. And I'm sure a lot of people are really curious what your thoughts are, being the professional you are and the experience that you have in depth. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, where the market's going, what's going on? You know, we, we've, you know we've had some people on we talked to recently about the, the BlackRock, you know, buying a lot of properties up. And I just saw a report this morning that housing starts are now up. So uh, builders are trying to catch the wave of this limited inventory issue that we have. Mm -hmm. um, there's things going on in San Francisco where they're talking about taking the downtown area of San Francisco that's uh, currently losing a lot of commercial real estate investors and, and uh, emptying out and turning some of those buildings into residential. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on what, what's going to happen? Maybe what the Fed's been doing recently. They just had their meeting, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I threw a lot in there, so I mm -hmm. gave you a lot to work <laughs> <laughs> I probably Giant should have been question. taking notes. I have two master's degrees, so I'm a, I'm a fervent uh, note taker, but I, I didn't bring my number two. I'll you. fall back anywhere you want me to. So just, <laughs> I'll let you just take what's going on in the housing market. Let's just. We'll well, take a big we really got to rewind a little bit because, um, you know, there's you, you as well experienced some pain in the 2009 and 10 downturn, right, Chris? Yeah, I did. So, so my first real estate investment was actually in 2006 and seven. And, mm -hmm. and I, I did trying to get rich quick. I double, tried to double and triple my money. I was a snot-nosed engineer out of college and I put everything I had into some pre-development, highly leveraged, personally guaranteed, and they raked me over the coals pretty bad in mm -hmm. nine and 10. 
And so I got a lesson uh, at the very beginning about the cyclic nature of, of the real estate market and other markets. Mm. And essentially the way capitalism is, is we go through these expansion and recession uh, recovery um, uh, phases. And you've got to build an investment portfolio, as I learned, that is the tortoise, not the hare, mm. that can ride out these recessions and win from the upside of the um, expanding markets. So my entire career, when I talk about the book, has been around building investment portfolios, which are hedges against recessions that are more likely to, to win in the upturn, but ride out a downturn. And there's a number of ways that we do that. And unlike how I was in 2009 and 10, just recovering, trying to stay alive and, and ultimately losing it all, uh, this time I have a much more healthy portfolio and I am of the mind that, and we're seeing today with our recessionary acquisitions fund that mm -hmm. there are incredible buys that provide returns like we saw in mm -hmm. 2009 and 10. And you just got to go find them. They're the off market, not struggling assets, not buildings that are dilapidated, falling apart. And, but, but as you say, there are owners of those buildings. There are, yeah. there are the investors that purchase them that are struggling. It's mm -hmm. the distressed owner, not the operator. It's not the distressed building. So the opportunity is Warren Buffett said, Warren Buffett says, when people are fearful, it's time to be greedy. Um, <laughs> now's that time. And, and, I am very much so happy to be positioned this time with a portfolio to ride this out and, and, and with the ability to create a fund to pick up, as you say, like some, some larger funds are doing some of the incredible buys that we're seeing right now, uh, in the, in the markets. And we can get into more specifics if you'd like. There you go. Uh, so you guys run, I believe, two funds, a recessionary acquisitions fund and a multifamily apartment community. Is basically um, people that want to do business with you, they're looking to invest in your funds? Right. So the we actually have a number of funds that we mm -hmm. will rise and set depending upon, uh, help our investors build out a more diversified portfolio. So we have about 26 properties on the multifamily apartment side. Mm -hmm. Those are that we've acquired. Those are throughout the landlord friendly areas in the southeastern states and a little bit in the Midwest. Most of those are one or two fund, one or two within a single fund. I think the most we have is a seven property fund. So there's there's quite a few funds that we put together over the years. Uh, the multifamily apartments we tend to stand up a single deal for, and you you invest in maybe one or two properties as we we pull them out. We, we do have one now. Uh, those are very different than the investments of even a, two years ago, because now is a very different landscape. We have the recessionary acquisitions fund, which is more of an open fund where we're raising the capital to take down properties very quickly that we find operators needing to get out of for their many personal reasons. And we can go through those, but it's a little bit like whack-a-mole in that fund. Or as soon as you see it pop up, you got you to gotta hit it hard or else it disappears. So that fund is more get, use the cash heavy to acquire backfill with debt and use the cash heavy to acquire backfill with debt. And then since we made the money on the buy, we do a 1031 exchange forward within the fund to continue to raise our investors 
uh, position. And so it's a really exciting way to build wealth in this recession. There you go. There you go. And, and so they, they can take a look at the different funds. This is kind of interesting. I was looking at your website, and I think I can quote these without any sort of regulatory issue. These are projected returns. We should specify, I suppose. Um, but uh, your recessionary acquisitions fund has a 20% annual average return. That's pretty darn amazing. Well, like I said, the... Um we're the four proper, and yes, we can talk about them because we file as a Reg D 506C with this SEC, which allows us to openly talk about our investments. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that that is actually uh, quite a bit underneath what we've achieved in the first four acquisitions using oh, wow. the strategy of the recessionary acquisition fund. Mm -hmm. um, but we like to, as you say, if you it, it seems to it seems very high, but. Right now, we're buy, we're making that return on the on the buy. We're mm -hmm. not making that return by trying to buy something distressed and work hard to fix it up. That's kind of value add. That a little bit of a buzzword that was in a lot of the real estate deals, where you buy something kind of little below market, you renovate over a long period of time, and then you build the yield. We're actually making that uh, on the acquisition. So we know before our earnest money goes hard we have a high degree of confidence we're going to get a large return if half or all of our capital back within uh, six to 14 months. And yeah. that's our strategy. And just to 1031 exchange those forward. So it does allow us to provide a lower risk approach because we're not hoping for a long-term hold. We're not hoping rents are going to go up. We're not hoping values will stay stable. We buy, we make it on the buy and then we trade it forward and make it on the buy and then we trade it forward. There you go. I mean, the Fed just recently signaled that they probably are done with their 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 federal rate increase that affects mortgage rates, um, and I think they may have come in for a somewhat soft landing. I think the the jury's still out on the on the commercial real estate uh, things because banks own a lot of that, and there could be uh, some issues there. But uh, for the most part, you know, you've probably got a lot of people that they. They, for my, I don't know how many people did, but there was a lot of homeowners that bought homes with, uh, <laughs> on adjustable rate mortgages back when rates were bottomed out, and they're probably definitely in distress mode right now. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some different reports, I think from the New York Times, where uh, some of these smaller uh, investors um, that that they were, they were, I don't know what they were up to, but they're in trouble now because they bought on adjustable rates and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it just kind of caught them because when the Fed started jacking those rates. And so there's there's lots of different variances out there in the market. So what are the benefits out there to real estate investing and investing with a company like yours? Well, it's a really good point. Uh, just like many of your listeners, you know, I was once a working professional doing, you know, high tech automation and robotics. I mean, I worked on the rotating robotics that assemble the rotating part of Tesla's motors, rockets, solar cells, Lockheed, Boeing. I worked on medical devices and I worked with some of the smartest people, sm much smarter than me, but some of the smartest people doing some of the coolest things. And like them, I also was heavily invested in the stock market or in my company's stock. And I was a bit fearful. And I, I would listen to the fear mongering on the news about inflation and looming recessions and I didn't, I knew that I, my, my retirement was all in, in this market. And mm -hmm. uh, even the financial advisors just had me more into things that kept rising and falling with the news. And 
the benefit is like what I did was I tried to go do it myself back in 2007. <laughs> I didn't have any experience. And not only, and, and, and I bought a land on my own and they came and they came and took it out. In fact, I was recourse since I personally guaranteed the loan, like oh, wow. many people do on their single family home, their own homes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did it in my own name I to get more favorable debt. I actually came to try to come after all my other assets, right? Oh, wow. so cross-collateralized, people don't realize if you go about it yourself, you tend to be cross-collateralized. And, and the asset, so, it, so that, that is really risky. And if, and if you do the American dream, which is, you know, climb the corporate ladder, put in stocks and then become a landlord, right? Then you're typically buying smaller properties you can control by yourself like I did. And that was what I did after 2009 and 10, a bunch of single family homes. It was renovating and, but I was moonlighting it while doing high tech and flying all over and getting a master's in engineering and a master's in business. I was really good at making money, but I was trying to be really good at being a real estate investor through the night. <laughs> and it was a big toll, not only on my cash flow producing job, but it was a big toll on my family, friends and hobbies. And yeah. The real benefit with working with a company like us is you don't have to do that. We come with decades of experience. We have dedicated acquisitions, asset managers, property managers, and we can pool capital to diversify throughout many different locations. You get many of the benefits without personally guaranteeing that being signing on properties in your own name, limiting your exposure to your invested capital without possible further recourse and you get better deals you wouldn't have otherwise gotten because we have people scouring thousands of leads that, and you can go enjoy your family, friends and hobbies. Yeah. You don't have to work at 24 seven. You know, I I've got a friend who, who's got a couple of rental properties and it's a, he posts, you know, some of his stuff on Facebook. It's a nightmare. Like he, you know, he's got to go through the whole eviction process when they stop. Like he, he went in the other day and they torn out like everything but the toilet. They torn out the kit, the, the the bathroom sink. They torn the handles off the, the, you know, the spigots off the bathtubs and stuff. And so he's he's having to like do all this stuff. And I'm just like, that sounds like a nightmare. My uh, my uh, uh, mother in law, um, she had to evict some people one time, and they poured concrete down all the pipes. <laughs> wow, I have not heard that one. I mean, I heard a lot of stuff, but you know what? When my when I found my future wife that's when i realized i had to stop the single family night night uh moonlighting in yeah. fact she was there for my very last refinance after we completed the renovation on my very last rental rental property and i said this is it uh and then subsequently we got married over the next couple of years once in california once in beijing and then i was ready oh. to and i was high tech career was really doing well and that's when we decided this time we're going to partner up. We're going to get into larger assets. We're going to build a private equity firm and we're going to scale it where we don't have to do it all on our own. And that's when things took off for us and our investors. Yeah, that's good. I, I see what he goes through and it's insane. And then the other thing I'll see is there's these inspector TikTok videos and they show at some of these, uh, these owners that, or, you know, you're buying the home from some guy selling it and the inspector's out there and he goes, yeah, look at this, uh, this black mold job, eh? You just painted right over it and, you know, holes in the ceiling and stuff mm -hmm. that get covered over with paint and you're just, <laughs> and as a investor, you're like, oh, yeah, I almost bought that. Wow. So uh, how do you guys uh, evaluate, evaluate your real estate deals? So um, 
<clears throat> we have a very long, we have a, first of all, we have a big acquisitions engine, like the recessionary acquisitions fund is like a half dozen people sifting through thousands of leads just to find the deals. And we're mm -hmm. uncovering rocks. We're not going to brokers. We're not going to things that are on market. We're doing direct to owner, oh, medium wow. sized, uh, some large different kinds of uh, assets across the range. But um, so we, we do a lot. The foundation of my theory, and I like to use that word foundation, is recession resilience. And it's always uh, been that way. Yeah. So if you look at where I went wrong before was I didn't buy for cash flow. Right. I didn't mm -hmm. buy something that was producing income on day one. Mm -hmm. uh, so if something happened and the market fell, I couldn't ride it out. Right. And I wasn't buying in recession resilient markets. And mm -hmm. you can look at the data online and you can see where some markets swung in 2009 and 10. It took 12 years, 14 years to recover. Phoenix is one of those, Las Vegas, right? Orlando. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other markets which just kind of leveled out for a couple of years and then start up again, like Houston and mm -hmm. some of the Southeastern states that tend to be tax advantaged, landlord friendly and legislative friendly. And that means lots of jobs are moving there. It's low cost of living. People are moving there. And even in a recession, they're still growing. And they're not the big losers like San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And so yeah. you buy in these areas where you see them on an expansion curve and the tides rising oh. a lot less likely to, 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 to have dramatic vacancies, right? Mm -hmm. Then you are in some of these places that took, are taking a huge hit during COVID and took a similar hit back in 2009 and 10. I know that uh, like the whole middle of America, I think is doing well, like Atlanta, I think is growing pretty crazy mm -hmm. in different places. Uh, you know, the, the big remote work, the big great resignation, all that stuff has contributed to a lot of different um, places. And of course, people are always looking for inexpensive real estate that they can buy or rent uh, because, you know, it's competitive out there. Um, now, wh what is a, a 1031 exchange? Let's talk about this and how are uh, users uh, using this to uh, build wealth? Are you guys a 1031 exchange? So a 1031 exchange is a tool and it there, and I've actually searched for who made this quote. And it turns out, even asked ChatGPT when I couldn't find it. And then I asked Google Bard, the AI platforms. Um, the 1031 exchange is the most powerful wealth building tool still, still available to Americans. Wow. And, but apparently nobody said that. It's just used a lot. So um, I hope that doesn't disempower it. But essentially- Maybe it's, it's just so common knowledge. It's, it's just common knowledge. Right. So- it, um, but, but if you don't, you don't know it until you know it, then you know it. But the, the government, and you didn't mention this earlier, but we also invest in diversified energy funds. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, and, and it turns out that like in energy, oil and gas interests, as well as the real estate space, those are tax advantaged assets. Why? Because the government wants us to feed, house, and energize America. They need, they, the government actually incentivizes the private sector to do that. And, and they'll do that through giving tax advantages. Um, there are a number of ways. Reason being most of our cash flow from our real estate deals is non-tax for most of our investors. Sometimes their whole investment is a tax deduction. And when we sell an asset, the profit from that sale, if we do a 1031 exchange, doesn't get taxed either. It gets deferred into the next oh. investment. Like oh. for example, 
And it's the same in the oil and gas funds. We can do little un unknown exception to the light kind rule in the 1031, which is that in oil and gas interest, you can also exchange forward um, in, with and defer your profits, which means that instead of if you, with 27 million, we bought a property in Jacksonville, Florida, 10 months later, we sold it for 37 million. Wow. It's a $10 million profit. So the government's going to take half that by the time you're done. But if mm -hmm. we did a 1031 exchange, which we did, we asked all the investors, hey, do you want to trade with us into our next asset? I think there was 70 investors and a couple of them said, no, I've got some family issues. We paid them off. The rest of them traded with us into life at Spring Estates in, in uh, Houston. Mm -hmm. And it was, we went from, we added about 100 units. We traded up to a larger property and now they're cash flowing and they didn't pay any, they didn't pay any profits. So all of the profits that were made in the first deal were exchanged. And now they're cash flowing on a much larger number. Wow. And as long as we keep 1031 exchanging, they won't have to pay taxes. And it is incredible because unlike the stock market, everything you sell is immediately taxable. If you do yeah. get cash flow, everything's immediately taxable. Yeah. So 1031 exchange is just incredible because you can take $100,000 and you can continue to replicate it and increase it in a tax deferred manner. And you can do that as a passive investor. You, you just sit back and let it grow and let it accumulate mm -hmm. and let it compound. And, mm -hmm. and that's brilliant because yeah, like you mentioned, one of the problems is anytime you, you know, if you're, if you're an individual housing investor, you know, you you buy a house, you sell it uh, subject to tax and the power of using that taxed money that you would normally pay to the IRS, you're now using to, you know, build more wealth and accrue more wealth. And of course you'll eventually pay them a lot more money, but that's beside the point. You, you're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're, compounding you're, interest. you're compounding that. Uh, you're just using that as a, as a tool to, to move to the next level. And, uh, and that's just brilliant and smart. And so people can do that with uh, investing in your funds. Is that correct? Yeah. In fact, the recessionary acquisition fund is perhaps the most exciting 1031 uh, opportunity mm -hmm. because when you make your return on the acquisition, you buy right and you, you can mm -hmm. buy quickly. Um, you know, there are, there are assets which the day we closed appreciated for, you know, 25, 50, 75% more just, just on the day we acquired it. Wow. And then we, then we put up in essentially cash for the funds to, to close on it. The ability for us to immediately just trade that into another investment uh, without paying taxes and on that next investment within the fund, buy it right mm -hmm. and then realize that gain and then do it immediately again and buy it right and realize that gain allows you to rapidly grow your wealth through wow. 1031 exchange. It's perhaps the most, it's the coolest implementation of that strategy and it's only made possible by this recession. <laughs> I mean, I know that, I know that it's, it takes a hit and I think most people's real estate portfolios if they're not in the growth states, at the very least, they're they're either leveling off or they're subsiding some. Yeah. Um, but if you're not investing where the opportunities come in this recession, then you're not winning. You're not hedging, right? Any any falls in your stock market portfolio and your real estate portfolio as the tide lowers, you're not hedging against that by investing into the upside of the downturn. Definitely makes sense to be diversified. You know, there's there's interesting things going on in the market right now, but if the Fed has soft landed, 
the 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 inflationary market, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're always going to have high job demand because the boomers left the um, job market early in the early resignation, and many Gen Xers did too. Um, and they're not coming back. And so, you know, it was it was purported. It's been purported for forty years. I've been reading about it forever in the Wall Street Journal about how when the baby boomers left that we might have some issues with, um, you know, uh, people uh, not having enough workers and stuff. And uh, and they've left. And that's why we're in this huge demand. You know, you see companies laying off and it doesn't even matter. The job growth is still going on. So I think the Fed has kind of realized now, the way I'm reading the tea leaves, uh, and I used to do this for 20 years owning a mortgage company, um, you, reading the tea leaves that they're going to, they, they've probably soft landed the uh, economy and they're going to, probably keep rates steady and then of course as we move to the next stages of this i think there's going to be some commercial and bank fallout uh of commercial real estate and hopefully much of that's going to just convert to residential because there is a there is a a really tight grip on on residential right now and so i think that will create some interesting opportunities for real estate investing if they convert those buildings and try and get you know some of these big downtown cities going again but uh the other thing is too is is if the Fed has soft landed it and we're we're cool, you do have a lot of money that's been printed, ten to eighteen trillion dollars, I think it is, uh, that you've got to deal with and the inflationary costs of that. But if they've soft landed it, it's possible they could start lowering the Federal Reserve rate. That's what I'm getting to. And if they do that, then you know you're going to have lower, lower rates, and you'll be perfectly positioned to take advantage of those those movements. Well, yeah. So I. I, I follow the economics. I actually talk on, I talked on a panel recently in Chicago, kind of bantering mm-hmm. with some other investors um, uh, at a conference about this. So right now, yeah, depending upon how you look, I think inflation is five or 6%, you know, mm-hmm. and they're saying that if the up curve, if the down curve matches the up curve, then, you know, in eight or nine months, we'll be totally out of this. Right. Yeah. And, and I do, I do see that. Um, I do think that they will. They've at, they've at least said that they would space out any continued upticks, mm-hmm. right? Because they're seeing they're seeing momentum in the right direction, which yeah. is really great. And I think it's such a good feeling because you know, like uh, some countries, not to get too far off in the weeds, like Japan, are in the situation where they can't get out of it. They've lost control. Yeah. And the fact that we still have control over inflation builds that market confidence that we needed, and that we can use the knobs that we have to keep the dollar under control. I think is incredible. To your point about commercial, there's a word commercial used a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that it's important today to break that into its parts that are not equal, mm-hmm. right? Because there's commercial retail, like malls, which during COVID took a colossal dive. Mm-hmm. But then there's commercial multifamily, large apartment buildings, which... okay. Which in our area, in, in our markets where people flocked to, because we're in Atlanta, as you said, Texas, Houston, Dallas, Austin, we're in some Cincinnati, Columbus, we're in um, Jacksonville, we're in uh, North, a lot, lot of cities. We're in cities where people are flocking to. And while retail, commercial retail was tanking, we were doing amazing. We were doing 5 and 10% rent growth a year, which re- re- which turns out to be very large gains for our investors. Now, Mm -hmm. what we're going to see now is, to your point, commercial office. 
mm-hmm. tank, right? But there within the commercial office sector, you still have some essential needs like medical office buildings. They're not going to yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, they're not, not with the boomers <laughs> retiring. Yeah. But I'm a perfect example, like to your point, because my wife and I have got to the point now where we have freedom and mm-hmm. we live in a beautiful place. But my wife came and said during COVID, hey, she does production management management for feature length films, by the way. Oh, wow. And they all went home like overnight. Mm-hmm. And she came out a week or two later, said, hey, I think we should move to Hawaii. <laughs> so two and a half weeks later, we were part of the exodus. We actually packed up and landed in Lanikai on Oahu. And oh, wow. my wife was tearing while we watched the sunrise over the Moku Islands. It was pretty fantastic. But there's so much of that going on, to your point, in the commercial office space. Mm-hmm. So it's not CRE. It's not commercial real estate overall, okay. right? There are these individual and the commercial office space. I think the numbers I'm looking at is there's um, 20 to 30 percent in some areas. And it's not equally distributed, of course, but Mm -hmm. in some areas uh, where that's their occupancy. And so there is a trillion dollars in in real estate debt uh, that is up for renewal if it was a short term debt just in the next year. Mm -hmm. There will be an extraordinary fallout in commercial office and there is nobody to replace those Mm -hmm. uh for example where my wife worked at at dreamworks they when they left um nobody very very few came back Mm -hmm. she's now at nickelodeon actually and um and now a lot of people are remote and they're working remotely from just a server room so the office space emptied out and now they're working from a they're just their position locally is just a a cpu in a rack Right. Yeah. And and now they're all working from home throughout the United States. And I that is proliferately the case. There's lots of companies trying to claw them back. The ones that have have not done so well. Yeah, they're not doing well. <laughs> so to your point, I do think an incredible opportunity can be had in an office space conversion mm-hmm. to residential. Yeah, and there will be a lot of that. The and. And I think it's potentially a really good opportunity. I'm not currently looking at that right now because okay. I think of it as highly, I think it's highly variable and speculative exactly how much you can populate. Yeah. Of those, those, especially in cities like San Francisco, the people just aren't there. The quality of life isn't the same. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily if you build it, they will come. The mm-hmm. city is not the same city. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely, and that's what I was referring to earlier. So I'm glad you made that distinction is, you know, the big, tall commercial uh, real estate building for offices and stuff. And I, I've been watching how they've been talking, uh, reporters are working that beat down there. They've been talking about converting those buildings, but you're right. I mean, will people stay there? Will people come? It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting how remote work has just changed everything, but I think it's been good for residential real estate. As you say, people are moving about the country, trying to find higher quality of life rather than places such as San Francisco. I hate to kick San Francisco around, but uh, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I, I saw the rents go through the roof there before uh, COVID. And, um, so it's a great opportunity for everything that's going to go on. And and hopefully, you know, the rates won't still keep going up and all those things. Uh, but, you know, people have to live somewhere. That's the one thing that used to be a constant in the in the mortgage business. We always used to say uh, the last thing people usually default on is their, is their home because they got to live somewhere. You got to sleep somewhere at night. <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. However, during COVID, it's so funny because people for the first time didn't have to pay their rent checks. Oh yeah. And um it's a good thing that so we to ride out recessions, we have 
fixed or long-term interest right rates mm -hmm. so i'll be by so that we don't have to deal with the the fluctuating interest rates oh. uh, we also do low leverage so that we can cash flow uh at very very low debt so we put up a lot of capital it lowers our investors return but it gives us protection and that's mm -hmm. kind of our foundation but a lot of people stopped paying their rents because the government was paying yeah. during COVID. And then when the government stopped, they still stopped. And really? so, yeah, and, and it's, it's rough on us because we, we're having to evict now. And oh, wow. that did result in a, where you could usually evict in a month, you know, in Texas, couple weeks or in a month and month and a half in Atlanta. Um, it, it actually rose to two, four months because the courts finally came back online and were flooded with these uh, past evictions. Um, but the good news is that the fundamentals of the deals where we cash flow well on those deals, even at recessionary occupancies, as I was saying, like what we expect to be the vacancy to be, because we put very, a lot of capital down, we fix the interest rates. So the good news is, uh, although it slowed us down right now, just in the last six months, um, we're getting out all those people that are not the right tenants which mm -hmm. allow us, we're markets where people are moving to allow us to bring in, to renovate, improve the quality of life for these residents in the, in the community, bring in better residents that will pay and catch up to the local market rates. And so if you structured your deal, if you structured the investment to be recession resilient, you got long-term interest, you put very, got your reasonable, didn't put too much debt on it, and you've got capital reserves on the sidelines, you're going to do great right now. Yeah, uh, it's the people that got a little over their skis, as you say, and they didn't. They got short-term debt. They got that high. They leveraged it to the hilt. They didn't put a couple million, six months in reserves in the bank. And those are the places we're buying from. Those are the operators that we are acquiring from <laughs> right now. And I was there once. <laughs> I did it, yeah. and I did it in two thousand seven and eight, and I lost it all in nine and ten. So I totally get you learned. That. You learned. Uh, you know, one other factor that's coming up here that I think is going to have some impact and probably some repossessions and some distressed homeowners that you'll be, you'll be able to buy and put in your portfolio for people that invest with you uh, is uh, the expiration of the COVID uh, student loan program. And evidently that expires in October and the Supreme Court hasn't, hasn't agreed that that that's uh, legal to do or whatever their thing is. Um, and so you've got people that, um, they usually would be paying 300, $500 a month and they haven't paid that for years and they probably acquired more debt and I don't know, buying crap on Amazon and more credit cards. And when that kicks in, there's probably going to be some, uh, available real estate opportunities there too, as well. Yeah, possibly. Um, there, I think, yeah, the aggregate issue being that there's going to have to be a coming to Jesus that people are going to have to pay their bills. <laughs> Um, we did see in the last couple uh, reports that individuals, that for the first time, essentially in decades, uh, investors or America did not pay down their credit card debt with their tax return. Yeah. So that is a sign that people one, they're fearing they want to keep capital to to for a potential fallout, and two they're not paying attention to their debt obligations, right? And yeah. so there's going to be a bit of a, a commercial reckoning and, uh, sorry, a consumer reckoning. And I, and that that means that what, what are they going to need? 
they're going to need more affordable uh, housing. They're going to yeah. need B and C class uh, apartment buildings, and that's why I don't buy the luxury, um, you know, brand new high rise stuff. But but yeah, I, I hear you. There's a number of things that are going to happen. Credit card debt, um, people going back to work, people finally paying their their rent checks again, and um, and people did get a little bit lazy over COVID, right? Yeah. We, it was very clear because we used to walk units and we would walk 100, 200, 300 indiv individuals homes. We'd walk into wow. their apartment buildings doing due diligence, uh -huh. me personally. And for the most part, people were at work when we would do that prior to COVID, right? Uh -huh. Kids were at school and during COVID, nobody was at work. I mean, it was, we were having a hard time getting in the buildings because they were all there. It made it much more difficult to walk through the buildings, you know, and you did the, the it was uh, it was much tougher, and we're going to have to see people go back to work again, yeah. and we're going to see those kids get back into school again. Um, and I think the country is going to be better off once we once we see all that happen. Yeah, you know, once we get through this whole, I can't wait till we're years beyond COVID. At least I think we can't wait. Uh, I don't want to tempt fate, knock on wood, you know. <laughs> so we don't want to do that whole thing ever again. Let's just skip that whole COVID from happening. Um, anything more we need to tease out on you guys and how you guys do it? Um, well, I think this has been a great conversation, and I, I'm happy to be here. I'd love to chat with anybody. I think that most of your listeners are, are on a path right now. They're probably very successful. They're, they're, they're investing in themselves just by listening to your show, getting inspiration from the entrepreneurs and, and business owners. Uh, and the traditional path that I took, which is kind of the revered path in the American dream. Um, and I'm writing a Ted talk on this right now, oh, and, awesome. but, but the, the idea is that, I believe that there is a fallacy out there in the American dream and, and that is working, climbing the ladder at some kind of revered career, whether you're working at Tesla or Apple or trying to reach partner at a law firm or uh, residency at, at, at some, as, a, as a surgeon somewhere. The, the challenge is what is being told is you need to climb that ladder at that profession and you need to make all the money that you can along the way. and what the government wants you to do is continue to do that. Um, but what they don't incentivize in America is for each individual to become the financial manager of their mm -hmm. own financial future. Because in some ways, you are the chief investment officer of yourself and of your family's financial future. And when you look at what makes up, and, and they don't incentivize identifying as that, as well as an engineer like I was, or a doctor, or a dentist. And so what I try and do is help people realize that they're fearful. Uh, you know that you are, you're fearful because you're watching the news, you've got most of your income and it's getting, it's, it may get robbed by a, a bank collapse. Yeah, it, bank it, it, It's dwindling down because inflation is increasing. Maybe your real estate deals are at risk because of interest rates. Um, and the, your, your whole retirement accounts on this roller coaster swing. And it turns out that the wealthy are not as afraid. Why? Because 8% of the middle class have, 8% of the middle class's portfolio is in what are called traditional investments. Those mm -hmm. that the, your employer, your financial planner, all are pointing you towards, right? But the high income earners and the ultra wealthy are 25 and 50% mm -hmm. of their assets in alternative investments. 
this is what I learned when I was hardworking, 24-7, high-tech professional, doing robotics and automation, some of the coolest projects, is that I didn't have to be on the roller coaster and I could reach out to diversified energy funds. I could get into different kinds of commercial real estate assets that are hedged against inflation, protected from interest rates, and where you can where you can win in a downturn. And all those market cycles are not all down at one time. And so I like to promote that individuals take a step back and until you really can build that financial foundation mm-hmm. to ensure your security and ensure your safety, even in an economic downturn, which is what we help our investors do. How are you going to rise to self-actualization from Maslow's hierarchy of needs if you're waking up in fear every day that you may lose your only income source, that you know your portfolio might take a hit and it's all in one index? Mm-hmm. And I like to just share that with investors because I think it's a good message to get out there that there's other ways and and we can help any, anybody who's interested, happy to chat with them. There you go. Is there a minimum investment to working with you folks? Yeah. So our investments are $100,000 and okay. we do take qualified retirement funds. So if you're heavily indexed in your IRA 401k, you can self-direct that. Uh. Or you can 1031 exchange a rental property that uh. you have into a partner position with us as well. So there are creative ways that individuals make that work. Okay, so the best thing to do is to reach out to you and talk to you guys about how to do it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, and uh, g- give us that plug again for the book so people have it, if you would, please. Yeah, Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers, Turning Challenges and Opportunities. And, you know, I'm here. I still had hair back then. <laughs> it was not that long ago during COVID. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've got, you know, Phil Collins, the guitarist of Def Leppard, NFL, NBA players, coaches with some really amazing people. I had such a great time. This It was really fun. We tell our whole stories. Hopefully it adds and contributes to the journey of your listeners. I talk about my journey through high tech and real estate, losing it all, getting it back and then trading up and then founding Invest on Main Street in there. Uh, we send a signed hard copy out to all of our investors, but I'm happy to offer it to your listeners as well. And just an opportunity to give back. We're doing this now, not because we have to, but because we like it. We like the impact that we have on society and and we like the relationships we have with our investors. There you go. There you go. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on. Uh, give us your .com one more time, if you would. Yeah. So we have invest on and then main and then street.com. And if you want the book, you go to invest on mainstreet.com slash book and then type in the promo code Chris Voss show. Uh, once you've done that, make sure you set up a call. I'd love to chat with you. And if we're building out an educational platform, it's called PassiveInvestingMastery.com. PassiveInvestingMastery.com. And we're building that out right now. I'd be happy to see you, uh, happy to see you there as well. There you go. Thanks for coming on, Patrick. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. There you go. And thanks to my audience for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, linkedin.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and follow us over on TikTok. We're starting to try and be cool over there. I think it's working. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And there we go, Patrick.